a quick reminder again tonight, the prayer room is open. If you need prayer for anything, if you get lost in the Bible study and you're like, what is this guy talking about? I think I'll use my time and get some prayer. I do not blame you. Chapter 11 of Daniel is thick. It's like thick stew, unbelievable detail, prophecy that God gave of Daniel of the near future and the far future of the people of Israel, the people that God chose to raise up to bring his salvation to the whole world. That's who these people are. Daniel, in his early teens, he was taken in the first deportation. God had warned Judah that if you don't turn back to me from all the idols, I'm going to spank you. And finally, after the prophets for decades warned the people, God allowed the Babylonians to come in and to level Jerusalem, to destroy the temple, and in the process, clean his house of all the idols they'd set up. And he's taken his people into Babylon for a 70-year spanking, okay? Daniel was taken in the first deportation we saw These prophecies in chapter 10 through 12, okay, we're in chapter 11 tonight, we'll finish next week, but Daniel's at the end of his life. He was taken in his early teens, and now he's in his 80s. He's approaching 90 years old. He's been serving. He served under several Babylonian kings, and when the Medes and the Persians overran and became the new ruling world power, They kept Daniel on because the dude was so brilliant. He was so gifted by God that they were using him as an advisor. He was an advisor to kings. Now he's in Persia serving the kings of Persia. At this point, chronologically, when we come to chapter 11, the first wave of exiles have already returned to Jerusalem. Under Zerubbabel, we read about this in the book of Ezra, when we studied Ezra. But God is giving here Daniel, in his old age, a series of visions, as I mentioned, about the near future and the far future of these people called the Jewish people. Have you heard about the Jewish people lately? (laughs) There's the biggest theme right now in the world, you know. In chapter 10, we saw that Daniel had a vision in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Okay, this was, this was two years after Cyrus had made a proclamation, the Persian king, modern day Iran. How relevant is all this? But the king of, modern, of what is modern day Iran, which was ancient Persia, He had made a proclamation that the Jewish people have the right to return to their ancient homeland, to rebuild their temple, to to serve their God. He gave them permits, he gave them materials, he gave them an escort, he gave them security to get back to their land. Very interesting. Jeremiah had said before the exile that the exile would be for 70 years. 70-year spanking, well, that time is up. And we saw this in a recent chapter. Daniel had been sitting there as an old man reading the prophet Jeremiah, realizing 
70 years. He looked at his calendar. He's like, it's now. Well, the first wave now as we come to chapter 11 has already gone back. Daniel's not going back. He's too old to make this journey. It's many, many hundreds of miles and dangerous. But Daniel is here. We saw he, he was fasting and mourning for three weeks. He saw a vision of an awesome angelic being. This is what we saw last week in chapter 10. And the vision overwhelmed Daniel. He fell on his face. He was weakened until the angel touched him. Remember that? And the angel said to him, fear not, Daniel, for you are greatly beloved. And the angel shared with Daniel how from the first day Daniel had set his heart to seek the Lord. From the first day, God had dispatched him to come to Daniel to answer his prayers. Because Daniel was wondering, what is the future of your people, God? These people, the Jewish people, my people. What is, their, what is our future? And this angel came and said, Daniel, from the first day you, you began to fast and pray, I was dispatched and it took me 21 days to get to you because of the spiritual battle that I had to fight through to get to you. I was battling the prince of Persia, this principality and power apparently that is over, a demonic power that's over the region of Persia, modern day Iran, that didn't want me to come to you and tell you the future of your people. There was a spiritual battle to get to you, but this angel told Daniel, but Michael, the archangel, who we're gonna see in chapter 12, the first verses of chapter 12 is the, uh, the, the angel of God who is assigned over the nation of Israel to guard and protect the people of Israel. This angel that broke through to Daniel after fighting the prince of Persia said, when Michael came and assisted me, we broke through, and now I've come to you, Daniel. I've come to you. So in chapter 10, we got a glimpse into the spiritual realm, into the spiritual battle that rages in the unseen world all around us. And we talked briefly about how God, who is in us as his people, is greater than he that's in the world. How that we engage this battle, not with carnal weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, Paul told the Corinthians, but mighty in God. The weapons we engage this battle are not bombs and guns and swords, but they're spiritual weapons of prayer and the word. This is how we battle, it's through prayer and through the holding to the word of God. And there's angelic beings that fight on our behalf, okay? Pretty crazy stuff. And we overcome. I love Revelation 12, 11. It tells us how we overcome in this spiritual battle. They overcame, notice, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and not loving our lives even to the death. This is how we overcome in this spiritual battle that we're involved in by the word of our testimony, and this is my testimony, I'm a wretched sinner that he has saved by his grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I surrender my life to you, Lord. This is how you overcome. Not by trying to convince the accuser of the brethren, the one who condemns that you're such a good person. It's like, I'm not a good person, you're right. 
I'm a sinful person, but Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I trust in him. I believe on him. And I surrender my life to him. This is how we win in this spiritual battle that we're involved in. This is how we overcome. Okay, so when the angel who broke through said to Daniel, I came to make you understand, Daniel, what you've been asking. What is to happen to your people? And and Daniel's people are the, the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, the people that God chose to bring his light and salvation through to the whole world, to me and you. Okay, and so the angel said to Daniel, the vision that you've had, that you're having here, it's for a later time, for days yet to come. And we talked about how scripture reveals these things. Also, verse one of chapter 11, we jump in here. In the first year of Darius, the Mede, so here's a timestamp for what he's gonna describe here. Daniel says, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and a fourth will be far richer than them all. By his strength and through his riches, he will stir up all the realm of Greece. Okay? After the Babylonian Empire, if you look back in history, came the Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians. And after them will rise up the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire. Okay, Daniel, Daniel saw this vision as we saw in an earlier chapter. He saw a statue and the interpretation came. And these empires indeed have risen and fallen Just as Daniel saw looking forward prophetically, we look back historically and go, wow. Look at this fulfilled prophecy. Okay? So here, he's being told there will be three more kings that will arise after Cyrus. And a fourth is coming. And we look back, if we count, this fourth would be one called Artaxerxes. Or they called him Xerxes for short. This guy had it in for Greece. He hated Greece. And here it says this fourth will stir up all against the realm of Greece. Artaxerxes, looking back in history, he amassed allies from other nations to come with him and attack Greece. But a very young, very young, handsome Greek young man in his 20s rose up and pushed back against the Persians. There's movies made about these battles today. If you've seen 300 or the different battles, this is speaking here prophetically of Alexander the Great, of Greece. He is the one that Daniel sees forward here prophetically concerning him. Look at verse three. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion out of the Greek empire. And he will do according, notice, to his will. And when he is arisen, his kingdom will be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven. It will be broken into fourths. But not among his posterity. He's not gonna hand it over to his kids. 
like a dynasty, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled, for his kingdom will be uprooted even for others beside these. And so again, we look back historically. Daniel's looking forward. These things are 200 years in Daniel's future. And we look back and it's over 2,000 years in our history. Okay, we look back and we know that Alexander the Great, who would rise up, he was an alcoholic. He died at the age of 32 years old after a drunken party. He drowned in his own vomit. He had conquered the whole known world by the time he was 32 years old. I'm 62, man, it makes me feel like, what have I done with my life, right? But after his sudden and shocking death, his empire was divided, we know historically, not among his posterity, but among his four generals, which fits exactly with what Daniel is being shown here prophetically many years before Alexander the Great was even born. The name of Alexander's four generals, take a look at these names. Ptolemy, Cassander, Seleucus, and Antigonus. Okay? When Alexander died, his kingdom was split into fourths. And we have a, a map here. Wow, the colors are kind of trippy, but the, the kind of the, the gold color, this was the kingdom of Seleucus. This was the fourth that that Seleucus took. We're we're only going to be concerned with the kingdom of Seleucus because the rest of this chapter is going to speak about what Daniel saw prophetically would be these struggles between the kingdom of Seleucus and Ptolemy, which is down into Egypt. Okay, the rest of this chapter is a running narrative about what would happen to in the kingdoms of of two of Alexander's four generals who took power over the different realms of Alexander's rule, Seleucus and Ptolemy. Referred here in the text, Seleucus, the the large portion there of the goldish color, he's referred to in this chapter as the king of the north. Okay, the king of the south, or Ptolemy, which is down into the area of Egypt there, he's called in this chapter the king of the south. And so this whole chapter is about all these details that Daniel saw looking forward prophetically that with this, this massive struggle between the king of the north and the king of the south, two of these generals who would take Alexander's kingdom. And we're not concerned with Cassandra, the, the, the other two guys and their regions, okay? The north is essentially, the kingdom of the north is essentially the kingdom of Syria, the south being the kingdom of Egypt. The prophetic vision that Daniel has focuses on these two kingdoms, okay? And the reason this chapter is even given to us, to Daniel, is because these two kingdoms in between them is Israel. And so all of the struggles that they have between themselves are right on top of Israel. That's why Daniel's prayer had been, show me what will be with my people, your people, the chosen people. And so God's gonna show him the details of all, all these wars that are gonna happen right on top of Israel. 
You know, what's interesting is I lived in Hungary for 17 years. And the Hungarians, there's been 17 wars fought on top of the Hungarians. <laughs> They're in this, the Carpathian Basin there in Europe, right in central, the center of Europe. And over all the years, different kingdoms and nations would meet to fight each other in Hungary. <laughs> and the Hungarians are like, we don't want anything to do with this. The Hungarians don't like to fight. They're poets and they're scientists and they're musicians and they're gentle-hearted people, brilliant people. But I'm looking at this, and Israel is in that place. And this is the reason for this chapter. This is what's going to happen in the near future. And we're going to talk about and see how these prophecies have a dual application, like many prophecies in Scripture, that speak not only of the near future, the couple hundred years from, what Daniel, from, from Daniel's standpoint, but also things that are still yet to come. They, they foreshadow things that are to come, and we'll talk about that. And so we're going to be hearing here in our text tonight about this constant battle, you know, between the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. So leaving the map up, it says the king of the south, that pinkish area, is that pink in your eyes? Okay, I don't trust my eyes tonight for some reason. But this was the region that Ptolemy, one of Alexander's four generals, ruled that region it says in verse five, the king of the south shall become strong as well as one of his princes. Speaking now of what we know as Seleucus, the king of this large region of the north, and he will gain power over him and have dominion. So Seleucus, the Seleucus kingdom will become greater, Daniel says. His dominion shall become great. So Daniel not only sees the rise of these four generals upon Alexander's sudden death, but he sees that the kingdom of the north and the two of these generals will be warring each other right on top of Israel. Very interesting stuff. Now Seleucus expanded his kingdom, the kingdom of the, of the north there, from, and he ruled from the Mediterranean Sea all the way over to the Indus Valley up to southern India and into portions of Pakistan today. Daniel saw this 200 years before it happened. And by the way, the battles, these battles between Seleuc the, Seleu the Seleucus Empire and Ptolemy lasted some 130 years with Israel in the middle of it all, in the middle of these warring kingdoms. Okay, and that is what the remainder of this chapter speaks about in incredible detail. Okay, and we're going to fly through this because if we, could, we could take every line and show from history, looking back, how it perfectly correlates. It's a mind blower. And it says, at the end of some years, they shall join forces. There'll be an alliance for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north and make an agreement, but she shall not retain the power of her authority, and neither he nor his authority shall stand, but she shall be given up with those who brought her and with him who begot her and with him who strengthened her in those times. So now looking back in history, and you can go 
get a book of history on these things, secular history, we know that what happened here, what's being described here, is unbelievable bad soap opera, okay? The king of the south of, of this Ptolemy's kingdom, Egypt, sent one of his daughters up to Mary into the kingdom of the north, into Seleucus. Okay, but in order to do this, there was a problem because the king of the north was already married, okay? In order to make this pact by marriage, the king of the north would have to first divorce his wife, and he did. He did it. And guess what happened? Okay, the wife who was pushed out murdered his new wife. She, po- he, she, she poisoned her, and she poisoned all of her ladies-in-waiting, her attendants, and it gets even crazier. The king of the north then remarried his ex-wife, and then she killed him, okay? Daniel's looking at this and describing what he's describing here, and he's like going, wow, you know? And when you look at what happened historically, it fits, even though the people aren't named. The, the locations are named, and the drama is is given in a skeletal form. But from a branch of her roots, okay, the wife of the south from Egypt, who was, you know, from Egypt who was, who was murdered, one shall rise in his place who shall come with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north and deal with them and prevail. So what happened historically is the brother of the gal who was given in marriage and then was murdered from the south, comes marching in. The brother comes marching in to avenge his sister's death. And he gets his army together. He attacks the king of the north, the Syrian empire, the Seleucid empire. He takes their capital city. In history, we know this. The capital city was Antioch of Syria, which, by the way, interesting side note, this city was the, first, was the first place where Christians were called Christians. Okay, that we see this in the book of Acts at, at, at Antioch of Syria. And he will carry also their, he shall carry also their goods captive to Egypt. So go up there and have this battle to avenge his sister's death and carry spoil back down to Egypt, to Ptolemy's region with their princes and their precious articles of silver and gold, and he will continue more years than the king of the north. So after attacking and taking vengeance and carrying off booty from the attack, he heads back south to Egypt and he chills out for a while. And also the king of the north shall come to the kingdom of the king of the south, but shall not return to his own land. So the king of the north of the Seleucus empire will then retaliate. Okay, and attack the king of the south, but there will be no real, to no real consequence. However, his sons will stir up strife. Here's the, this, is the, this is the history of the world, folks. <laughs> Just people attacking each other and retaliating and vengeance and, and counterattacks and wow. So his sons will stir up strife, assemble a multitude of great forces. One shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through and they shall return to his fortress and stir up strifes. And the king of the south, Egypt, Ptolemy's region, 
will be moved with rage and go out and fight with him and the king of the north who, must, who shall muster a great multitude but the multitude will be given into the hand of his enemy. So the north will be defeated temporarily and when he has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up, he will cast down, he will murder, in other words, tens of thousands from the kingdom of the north, but he will not prevail. For the king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come to the end of some years with a great army and much equipment. So attack and murder and vengeance, retaliation, attack again and back and forth and so on and so forth. Daniel's looking at all this going, whoa. But the trippy part is when you study history, it, 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 all, it all collates. It all fits right in together. Now remember that the whole reason that these wars are prophesied in advance and recorded here before any of it happens is a heads up to Israel. This is the whole point. This is what you should expect. There to be strife all around and these armies meeting and trampling on top of you. Okay, don't be discouraged. It's like God telling Christians over and over and over and over in the New Testament that this is a time of refining. It's a, not, this isn't heaven. This is a time of trouble. In this world, Jesus said, you will have what? Tribulation. This isn't home. Don't think it's strange that your life is always being disrupted because that's what is the nature of this life. This is a blip on the radar. But we're always surprised and we're always bummed out when it's not smooth sailing. And that's why he says over and over and over again, don't think it's strange. This is what it is. It's a refinery. This is a refinery. It's not a five-star cruise. And so this is what God is telling Israel in advance. This is what you want to know what to expect in the near and far future? Expect there to be all this craziness going on. I'm working. I'm giving you a heads up. As the kingdom of the north and the south would be marching back and forth through Israel to fight and execute vengeance on each other. Now in those times, verse 14, here's some more detail. You asked Daniel, I'm telling you. Many will rise up against the king of the south, also violent men of your people. Some, there will be some people among your own people, Jewish people that love violence, and they will exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they will fail. So at this point in this power struggle between the north and the south, the Syria and Egypt, between the Seleucius Empire and Ptolemy's region, some of the Jews, the violent among them, will join the king of the north to fight, probably as mercenaries, to make some money, because, and they love violence. Not all the people, but there will be some, it says. And so the king of the north will come and build a siege mound and take a fortified city, and the forces of the south will not withstand him. Even his choice troops will have no strength to resist, but he who comes against him shall do according to his own will, and no one shall stand against him. And notice, he will stand. Here's an interesting thing. He will stand in the glorious land. This is, this is how God is referring here to the nation, to the land of Israel. There's going to be this ba these battles, and this king will come and he will stand in the glorious land. 
with destruction in his power. There's going to be battles right at your doorstep. There's going to be violence come right to you. Now watch this. Because here we come to one of the kings of Syria whom we talked about in the previous chapter if you were here. A man named Antiochus Epiphanes. He was from the Seleucid dynasty. He was from the kingdom of the north that we've been looking at here. He came in and he wreaked havoc in Jerusalem, murdering thousands of Jews. He shut down the sacrifice and he desecrated the temple. And he, he was a man that we talked about last time. We'll talk a little bit more tonight. He was a foreshadow and this isn't my opinion, this is Jesus' opinion. We'll talk about this in a minute. He was a foreshadow of another one who is yet to come in even our future called the Antichrist that the New Testament expounds upon. He will be manifest in this coming time that the scripture calls the Great Tribulation. And so Daniel's going to be given a vision here of battles and persecution that will affect his own people, the Jewish people and the land that God gave them forever. And as is common among some of the prophecies that God gives, there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment, a double fulfillment, if you would. And just as Antiochus Epiphanes came down into the glorious land, and he did, We know from history, as he came, he spewed a demonic hatred of the Jewish people. He spewed a demonic hatred. We know from scripture that the Antichrist, this is what he will do. The Antichrist is, his main thing is is an anti-Semitism. It's a blast against the people that God has chosen to bring salvation through to the world. You realize that? This is the biggest topic on planet Earth right now. Anti-Semitism, you know. What is this? These people are one-fifth of one percent of the world's population. And the whole world is in uproar right now over this. What is this? this This is something I've brought up over the years. What is this phenomenon? Where there's all these attempted annihilations of these people. They don't want to fight. They never want to fight. They want to do science and art and music and physics and medicine and, you know. They've won 40%, 30 to 40% of all the Nobel Prizes in the life sciences, physics, in the, in the musicians and violinists and pianists. And, and they're one-fifth of 1% of the world population. And what is the outrage? I believe it's an attack on your well-being and mine. It's a demonic attack because it's God has chosen that through them comes salvation to me and you. And so there's an irrational hatred of these people. Mark Twain called it, the anti-Semitism, the swollen envy of pygmy minds. You know, he looked at it from his own natural viewpoint, and he's like, this is the swollen envy of pygmy minds. (laughs) It's much worse than that. It's much more sinister than that. It's demonic. Because these people in that land 
are all wrapped up in the prophecies of their Messiah, who is our Savior, not only in his first coming, but in his second coming. That's why this is breaking out again today in our world. This same spirit is, that, is it's mind-blowing. And it's worldwide, it's in our colleges. And, the, and people that don't even understand anything that they're doing. Most people don't even understand what they're doing. We just hate these people, you know. Destroy them. Here we go again. Here we go again. It's a mind-blower. Okay? But just as Antiochus Epiphanes came down into the glorious land... And we know that he came and he spewed a demonic hatred. And so the Antichrist, and, and John said that this, there's many Antichrists that have already gone into the world, but there's a coming Antichrist, an actual person that will come and spew and seek to completely destroy. This is what the Great Tribulation is. It's, a, it's an attempt again to completely annihilate the people that God has chosen. Do you know what chosen means, by the way? Calvinists and Christians from the Reformation have given what I believe is a horrible, unbiblical definition to the concept of God's elect or God's chosen. When you look in Scripture, God chose Abraham. He was from southern Iraq, okay, the Ur of the Chaldeans. And he said, we don't know why he chose him. Who cares? Who cares? I'm just glad he chose somebody to come and bring salvation through because that salvation is coming to me and you. But people get caught up with, who do you think you are? Abraham's like, I don't think I'm anybody. God just said, come with me. And in you, Abraham, all families of the earth will be blessed. Chosen means not you're going to heaven and everyone else is going to hell. That's not what it means. And that's kind of the Calvinist definition. God chose, he elected Abraham and said, through you, Abraham, all families of the earth will be blessed. Chosen means I'm choosing to bring my love, my salvation, my light into the world through you. I'm choosing you because I love the world. You ever hear that verse? God so loved the world. This idea of the chosen ones are going to heaven and by default, everyone else is just chosen to burn in hell. This is a dangerous, unbiblical definition. Okay? Anyway, I could tell you some stories of some anti-Semites that I just explained what I just said to them and it completely changed their lives. An atomic physicist, a Hungarian man who was the head of the the atomic program in Switzerland. He lived, he had a house in the same town my wife and I lived in in Hungary and I met him at a cafe. He was a rabid anti-Semite and I said, do you even know what it means? He's like, who are these Jews to walk around saying we're the chosen people? I said, you know what? The Jews never said that. God said that about them and they said, we don't want this. We don't want to be this and God said, you are this. Get up and let me work through you, (laughs) you know? And what he did in choosing them is he, he's, he's, he's brought the Savior for you, my friend. This dude stood up. He'd been an anti-Semite his whole life, this nuclear physicist. And he's hugging me at this cafe in Saint Andre, Hungary. And he goes, my whole life has just changed. 
I thought the whole time that they called themselves the chosen people and that they felt that they were better than everybody else. And I'm like going, dude, you got it all wrong. He goes, God brought Christ through them. I go, exactly. And he came to die for your sins. And, he's, and the guy was holding me and I'm like a little uncomfortable in public with a dude holding me like that for that long. And, but God touched the guy's life. You see how a little concept, a biblical concept gone awry can ruin a man's life? He said, I've spent all these decades just hating these people, obsessed with these people. And he's like, I'm done. He, he said, I felt, he said, just right now, the truth has set me free. He's like, praise God that God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Jesus came, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and I'm cleansed and I'm healed. Right there in public in southern Hungary. So we know from history, these things are pretty relevant to what's happening right now in our world. There's another outbreak of this same spirit that was on Antiochus Epiphanes. Do you know that right now we're in, we're, it's December 13th, right? Hanukkah, you ever heard of Hanukkah? You know what the origin of Hanukkah? We're right in the middle of Hanukkah, okay? Started December 7th, goes to the 15th. We're, in day th- we're, we're on the 13th of December today, but Hanukkah was when a man, a priest named Judas Maccabeus rose up And he threw off the forces of Antiochus Epiphanes 165 years before Jesus. And they reinstated the sacrifice. And right now, it's Hanukkah. And right now, the spirit of Antichrist, anti-Semitism is all over the world. And right now, we're in Daniel chapter 11, looking at all these prophecies that prophesied all of this stuff. I'm like going, this is crazy, relevant. I don't know about you, but I'm like going, this is this is weird. You know, how did we end up in Daniel? We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. We just happen to be here right now on this, these passages. Pretty interesting. Just a reminder, God knowing that there would be this demonic attempt to snuff out these people through whom he's bringing salvation to me and you, He told Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you because your people are going to have the most radical, persistent attacks against them and attempted holocausts and annihilation. And it's happened all through history. Hitler wasn't just the only one of these things. There was Antiochus Epiphanes. There was Haman in the Persian Empire. There was in Egypt when they were in Egypt, there was an edict that went out from the Pharaoh to kill all the baby boys. It's all through history. And it's the same demonic spirit that is seeking to snuff out your hope because God has chosen through them to bring salvation to everybody. To everybody. To all of us, no matter who you are. Jesus is one for all mankind. He's come for the world, you see? And here, let's keep reading back into Daniel's prophecy here, which in the near term applies to the power struggles. Remember that Daniel saw what happened 200 years into his future, that we're looking back in history, and we have this interesting 
battles that we make movies about today between the, the kingdom of Seleucus and the kingdom of Ptolemy fighting right on top of Israel, still speaking of the king of the north, the Seleucus kingdom, he shall set his face to enter with strength of his whole kingdom and, and upright ones with him, thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of women to destroy it, but he shall not stand with him or be for him. After this, he shall turn his face to the coastland, speaking of Tyre and Sidon, Phoenicia, there on the coast, and he shall take many, but a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end, and with the reproach removed, he shall turn back on him, and then he shall turn his face toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. Ah, okay, again. We could literally spend a year with every single verse and show the correlating events in secular history of how this fits together. But look at verse 20 is important. This is, we're, this is a 30,000 foot, we're flying over at 30,000 feet tonight. There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. But within a few days he will be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. And in his place shall arise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, by intrigue, by flattering manipulation, not by the force of an army, Daniel is so clearly seeing forward here prophetically to the one who we look back on historically. Again, this man Antiochus Epiphanes who came into power even though he was not of a royal lineage like it says here. He invaded Israel by lying schemes, by deception, not by force but peaceably and again, he, is, he so closely corresponds to this coming Antichrist who will take power in the same way, not by force, but by deception, by flattery, and by, the, by mental head trips. He'll have this supernatural power, and he will enter into a covenant with Israel. The Antichrist will. According to the prophecies, he will, it will be a seven-year covenant that he will establish by intrigue, okay? And it's by this covenant, it seems, that Israel will be able to peaceably rebuild their temple. On the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. You wanna talk about the most difficult real estate project to pull off in the entire world? It's for the Jewish people to rebuild their temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's the hottest piece of real estate on planet Earth. And there's, a, is, there's an Islamic mosque there, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, that was built six centuries way after Christ. It was built way, way after Christ. And that's where the Solomon's temple stood, right up there on that temple mount. But according to the prophecies, that temple will be rebuilt. The Antichrist is going to strike a, a peace deal, a seven-year deal, but he's gonna break it in the middle of the deal. Three and a half years, we're told in scripture. 
It will be rebuilt without terror attacks. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a humanly impossible thing. The situation is humanly unsolvable, the, the situation over there. But three and a half years into this peace, this covenant, the Antichrist will go back on his word and all hell will break and that will trigger all the violence and destruction that we see in this period of time called Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation. Okay, we could go into all of this. Every verse here, you could click on it and spend an hour on each verse. But I'm giving, we're doing a flyover here tonight. But with force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken. And also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully with deception. For he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. So he'll have, a, he'll have powerful people that come into league with him. And that's how he's going to gain power. He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, (coughs) bringing peace to the Middle East, (laughs) what every president of the United States tries to do, because that would be the golden prize right there of their legacy. Every one of them gives it a shot and tries and leaves frustrated. This dude's gonna pull it off for three and a half years nor his forefathers have done, been able to pull this off. He shall disperse among them plunder, spoils, and riches. He shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. He will stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with the great army. The king of the south shall be stirred up with a battle with a very great mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they will devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. His army will be swept away and many will fall down slain. Both the king's hearts shall be bent on evil and they shall speak lies at the same table but it shall not prosper for the end will be still be at the appointed time. Again, this speaks both in the short term of this Antiochus epiphany, study it out. It was his overthrow that the Jews every year celebrate Hanukkah. But looking back in history, We see it was Antiochus Epiphanes and the Antichrist, it also speaks, who is coming, whose spirit is already at work, John says. There's many Antichrists that have already gone out. And while returning to his land with great riches, his heart will be moved against the Holy Covenant. And so he will do damage to the Jewish people, speaking here, and return to his own land. So when it says here, he will, his heart will be moved against the Holy Covenant. This dude will hate the Jews like no other anti-Semite has ever hated the Jewish people. At the appointed time, he shall return and go toward the south, but he shall not be like the former or the latter, for ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return in rage against the Holy Covenant and do damage. So he will return and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. So he will be favorable to Jews who go, we're done with this. And there's Jews that are like this. And I don't personally blame them. <laughs> I know Jewish people that are like God, like, like in Fiddler on the Roof, remember Tevia? If I were a rich man. Remember the guy? Everybody, you ever see Fiddler on the Roof? 
He's like out there praying, go, why do we have all these troubles, God? He says, next time, why don't you choose somebody else? <laughs> you know, I don't want to be a Jew. I don't want to be chosen, you know. I just want to be a farmer and milk my cow and, you know, be a rich man so my wife doesn't have to do all the labor she has to do. So the, this Antichrist will be favorable toward the Jews who due to, you know, because of their fear of what's happening, they're, they're willing to forsake the holy covenant. Right now there's Jewish people that are hiding, they're hiding their stars of David. They're taking down their menorahs from their windows. It's a trip that this is, there's an outpouring of the spirit right now all over the world. And forces shall be mustered by him and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress, and then they shall take away the daily sacrifices that are reinstated in the newly rebuilt temple on the Temple Mount, and, there, and, place, and place there the abomination of desolation. Have you ever heard that phrase? They will place there the abomination of desolation. Remember this phrase. The abomination of desolation. Antiochus Epiphanes, who died, listen, 164 BC, 164 years before Christ, he did all of these things. He desecrated the temple in Jerusalem in 167 BC. But so will the coming Antichrist. This phrase, abomination of desolation, is important. Antiochus and Epiphanes made a sacrifice in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem to Zeus, the Greek god Zeus, and he sacrificed a pig and sprinkled the blood of the pig all over the Holy of Holies and on the altar. And he forced the Jewish people to eat the pig's meat, though their own law forbid them from eating pork. How do we know? How do we know that these events of Antiochus Epiphanes, 165 years before Christ, foreshadow events beyond him? How do we know this? How do we know that there's a dual fulfillment to this prophecy? Here's how we know. Because almost 200 years after Antiochus Epiphanes, Jesus spoke of this and how this applies to the yet future Antichrist. This is how we know. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 15, a hundred almost 200 years after Antiochus Epiphanes, who clearly in the near term fulfilled these things, Jesus says 200 years later, therefore when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, in Daniel chapter 11, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, interesting, whoever reads, Jesus knew it wasn't going to happen in his day, but there would be people in that day that would read. This is going to be recorded in the book. Whoever reads, let him understand, and then let those in Judea flee to the mountains, and he talks about just, this is the end. Okay? This is the end. Now, there's a whole thing we could do about pastors that get up and they're sensational about every 
crisis in the world and they ring warning bells, the end is near, the end is here, and they sell their books and pack out their churches and then 10 years later, everybody's like, what? Nothing, nothing ended. Jesus said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. And he says to the pastors, don't sound the alarm. When you hear of pestilences and you hear of these things happening, these things have always happened. And Jesus said, here's the sign that the end is here. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the Antichrist standing in the newly built temple, run. (laughs) This is the end. But you know what? Right now, there's no rebuilt temple. So what are we supposed to be doing here right now? Gathering together and obsessing over prophecy and neglecting our studies and not getting married and focusing on our kids and investing money? Is that what we're supposed to be doing? No, we're supposed to be doing all of that. In the new year, when I teach from the pulpit here on Sunday morning, the next text is a parable, Jesus says, where he says, this is what I want you to do until I come. I want you to invest your life no matter how crazy things get. I want you to occupy till I come. I want you to invest your money, invest in your mind, invest in your family. I want you to get married, have kids. I want you to save for your future. (laughs) And if you see the Antichrist standing in a rebuilt temple, okay, then quit school, (laughs) you know. But until then, Be busy about your lives. Don't sit around and obsess over prophecy and go to places where the guy's always talking. Here it comes, you know, and he sells all his books and then 10 years later, here it comes, no, and here's my new book and the dude's living by the beach because he's making millions of dollars off his prophecy book. That's not how it works. Jesus said, Jesus is the one that shows that this has a dual fulfillment He used the same words here and he refers back to the prophet Daniel and he goes on and he says, let's finish this up and get out of here. I'm gonna fly through the rest of this. Those who do wickedly against the covenant shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Through all of this, those that know God will be strong and God will do great things through their lives. Okay? And those of the people who understand, they will instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by the sword, the flame, by captivity and plundering. There's going to be troubles and suffering. This is a refinery. It's not heaven. And now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help. But many will join with them by intrigue. And some of those of them shall understanding, they will fall to refine them. Some of you have fallen. And it's humbled you. God hasn't forsaken you. But it's a refining of you. Because God wants you humble. Not pharisaical. Okay? To purify them. To make them white until the time of the end. Because it's still for the appointed time. And then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself. Speaking here of this antichrist. Above every god. And shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and he will prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, till God pours his wrath on him. This is, you can read about all this in the book of Revelation. For what has been determined shall be done. 
And so applied to the Antichrist, we're told that he will continue to be successful in persecuting and even killing those that know God. And this is during this time of great tribulation. Let those who read understand what's coming down until God's wrath is poured out. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. That's an interesting verse that there's been a lot of speculation over. This guy won't have desire for women, so what does that make him? I don't know. Nor regard any God, for he will exalt himself above all. Antiochus Epiphanes did all this, and so will the Antichrist who's to come, because he was a foreshadow of this one who is coming. But in their place, he will honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers didn't know. He shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things and he will act against the strongest fortresses with the foreign God which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory and he will cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain and at that time of the end the king of the south will attack him and the king of the north will come against him. A whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and many ships and, he will, and he's describing this future battle that's yet future. He will enter into the glorious land, the land of Israel, and many countries will be overthrown, but they shall escape from his hand, Edom and Moab and prominent people of Ammon. He will stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasuries of gold and silver, over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians or the Cushites they shall follow at his heels. But, the, but news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. He shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. And yet he will come to his end. And no one will help him. There will be an end to all the madness. And we're going to make it through because God's going to see us through. No matter what we face. He's gonna preserve the people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, you know? Next time we're gonna go into chapter 12, we'll finish with that very short chapter and the concluding of the statements that this angel gave to Daniel. Whoa, I'm ready to pass out. A million details, we touched on a few of them looking at how history correlates. You can go study this out. It'll take you a year or two to get into every little detail of this thick stew. But that's enough, man. That's enough for tonight. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, for these things. Many of them we don't fully grasp. Some of them are pretty obvious. Lord, we want to be on the right side on your side when it all comes down we thank you that through Abraham you've brought Jesus who come for all of us no matter who we are Lord we pray that for peace in Israel in Jerusalem we pray for Palestinians and Egyptians and Jordanians the beautiful Persian people the people of Iran. Lord, the talented, beautiful people of Iran and Syria and all the war that goes on and the Kurds and 
we just pray, God, for this region of the world. We pray that many, millions, we know thousands are coming to Christ even now. The biggest revival on the planet right now is in Iran, underground church in Iran, led by the women, leading underground home Bible studies. We pray, God, we pray that, Lord, you would bring your peace. We pray you'd bring your peace. You'd snuff out evil and bring peace. And we know that comes through Jesus. So, Lord, may the name of the Lord be proclaimed. May people be healed and set free from these, from these ancient hatreds that demons get all involved in and amplify. Use us, Lord, to bring your peace, to be peacemakers as we've met the Prince of Peace. Bring your peace into our souls, into our hearts. Bring your peace, Lord, between us. Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray you'd fight the spiritual warfare that rages, that's raging right now in our country, around the world. That you'd fight, that you'd dispatch angels like you did for Daniel. You'd free people from lies and hatred and murderous thoughts. Use us in the meantime, Lord, for your glory, which is always to our greater joy. We ask it all in Jesus' name and everybody who agreed said out loud together, amen, amen. Blessings on you. Show some love on your way out to somebody with a high five, a fist bump, whatever you do. A hug if you dare. We'll see you next time. We'll finish Daniel next week. God bless you.